Good morning, everyone. Is that on? Yeah, lovely. Good, good, good. <laughs> so today, as Mike said, we're continuing our current series, Church Matters. I have to admit, the title that I had for today, I, I struggled with a little bit at first. But as I, as I dug into it, as I explored it, looked at what it is, it makes sense. And it's good. So that's good, isn't it? It's a good place to start. Okay, so the title is How to Survive Church or Surviving. So you might think, why am I talking about surviving church? It, it does sound a little bit out of place at times, isn't it? So often we can focus on how positive church is, the fact that we're the bride of Christ, the fact that we are redeemed, that we have been chosen and loved, that we're to be a community of love. We can focus on all these different things, but actually we can end up not being sober and we can forget also that there are, there's a sense that church life comes with challenges and difficulties. The life we're called to live as Christians as part of a church is countercultural. The world around us often pushes us to think, how can I further myself? How can I stand out from the crowd? Yet we are called as the church to do nothing from selfish ambition. We're not to be conceited, that is have excessive pride, but we are to be humble, to count others as more significant than ourselves. Not only to focus on our interests, but look to the interests and needs of others. These things are not natural, are they? It's so often to read those and just aim for those things, but actually to recognise these things are really challenging. Beyond that, also, we need to remember as well that though we're saved, we're still sinners at the moment. We're imperfect. I just want to read a quote from a book by Sam Mulberry that a lot of his preach is based around, and the book's called Why Bother With Church? And the quote is, Any church is a collection of sinners, save sinners, but still sinners. And so no local church is going to be perfect. And so I think that's, that's really important. That's a really important starting place. Let's remember that. We're, we're called to these things, to stand out from the world by being people that put other people before ourselves, by showing love to one another, by reflecting Christ. But also, church here is not going to be perfect. It's going to be difficult. It's going to be hard. And so with this in mind this morning, I want to look at three distinct areas that can make church hard work for us. The fact we can find it boring. The fact that people can get hurt in church. And the fact that it can be exhausting. If I actually think about all three of those areas, I've probably experienced all of them myself, actually, to a point at different times. Uh, and I think it's probably something that most of us have, at least one of those, if not more. Although it can be natural to shy away talking from these areas, uh, each one can be a real issue. And so actually, I think it's really important that we look at these and explore them. So as I address these things this morning and look at how we overcome these hardships, I want us to also recognise the fact that the very things that make church hard work are often the things that also make it great. That's another thing by Sam Albury. Let's read it again. The very things that make church hard work are often the things that make it great. Okay, so church 
It definitely can be boring at times. That is true. But what springs to mind when you think of something that bores you? you? Some people might think of reading books. Some people might think of political broadcasts. Some people might even think of going around gardens as being boring. As a gardener, I actually love it. But as a kid, I used to hate it, if I'm honest. <laughs> the World Cup's been on. That's been stealing like, TV from everyone, really, hasn't it? Let's be honest. From every channel, almost. You, you might want to watch Wimbledon. Wait a second, do you even like Wimbledon? That's the other thing. You might find Wimbledon boring. It can be very repetitive watching a ball go from one to the other, from one side to the other. To... But at the same time, there's great skill in that, isn't there? And actually, the more you understand of the sport, probably is the more you love it. I'm trying not to offend anyone here. And I'm not saying that's how I feel about these things. But what I am saying is we are unique. We all have particular interests, and we all find different things boring. And for some of us, the first thing that might have sprung to mind might have been church. Actually, at the moment, I find church to be boring. Or prayer meetings, or sermons. Hopefully, you're not bored of this one yet. But all these different things can spring to mind, can't they? So I think in some respects, it's not surprising that church can be thought of as boring. It can be very repetitive, can't it? There's almost this, this routine that we know that every week, there's going to be a welcome, there's going to be a time of worship, there's going to be a preach, there'll be notices, etc. And then during the week, we'll have growth group meetings, and we've got all these different things that can just build up into routine. And often, it's routine that can turn things into boring, things being boring. Church is full of idiosyncrasies that we're not used to in today's culture. One example can be sermons. It's not very often that we have to take, or it's not very often we choose to take time out of our busy lives, so the small bit of free time we have, and we choose maybe we'd be relaxing, so lots of people on a Sunday morning, that might be their family time, their chance just to have a lie-in, veg out, and things like that. Not many people would willfully go somewhere to listen to a long monologue. It's just not part of our natural culture, is it? In fact, the only place I can think where that might happen, and this was highlighted in the book, but was stand-up comedy. Like, actually, but that's, that's got a very different vibe to it, hasn't it? And uh, hopefully I don't come across quite like that. But, yeah, so there are many different factors that can affect the way we perceive something to be boring. And I want to break these down into two core areas. And that's the quality of something, or the way something's done. And I'll expand on that in a second. And then our view of it, uh, or our mindset towards that thing. So, for example, you can have a dynamic, gifted speaker who's given a lot of prep to preparing a talk that he's going to give on biblical history. Against that, you might have someone who is dull, who has a monotone voice. I'm not, maybe I shouldn't say person dull, but they might come across like that. Um, they might be ill-prepared. Which one would you rather listen to? It's, <laughs> it's a trick question, it is. And today you get the second one, yay. No, so the reality is, actually we'd all rather listen to the person that's gifted, that's dynamic, that actually has put the time and effort in to prepare something. So that for me, that's talking about the quality of something. So if something is done well, we're more likely to enjoy it and get more out of it. 
Okay, so let's take how we view something, so our mindset towards it. For example, say we're in a time of sun worship, like we just were. Say everyone was really engaged. You, it almost felt like you could just see God seated on the throne. And then all of a sudden, the next song that the worship band chooses to do is an old hymn full of old English. For some of you, and some of us, that is amazing. Because actually it's full of great biblical truth. In fact, a lot of the truth is better than the modern songs we sing. They're easy to engage with if you know the language. Some people don't, have, well, just don't engage with that at all. I was once reading a book by Tozer. And actually, I found it really difficult to engage with because of, it was written in an older English that I'm not used to. I had to work really hard at it. And I think when we have songs with V, Val, Vi, Haf, Doff, if you're not used to it, it can cause you to turn off. I'm just wanting to be very real here. I'm not saying that they're bad. In fact, I do like them myself and can find them very rousing. But actually, there's this realism that some people will find that really good and encouraging, and other people will find that boring. And it's not to do with the quality of the hymn, but it's to do with how we view it. So our view towards something can completely change how we engage with it. And that's here I want to focus on for the moment. How we view church, what is our mindset towards it? Think about an average Sunday morning. How do you see it? What do you perceive is going on? Do you see maybe what the title of the sermon is? Who's preaching? Who's leading worship? And start to form in your minds, actually, okay, I can kind of get a gist for this is how the morning's going to go. Looks like it's going to be a good one today, or it's going to be boring, not so interesting. I don't engage with that person so well as this person. But we can start to form those opinions, can't we? Or we might actually see beyond these things and hold on to Scripture. That when two or more gather in my name, I am there with them. What a promise. What a promise. So you might view Sunday morning as a chance to meet and experience God. So for a lot of us, we might expect on a Sunday morning a nice time of fellowship. It's a chance to be encouraged, to be built up, maybe even challenged. We get to glorify God. We get to meet with him and we get tea and cake at the end as well. These are all good things to be expecting. Some better than others. I do like good coffee cake, it has to be said, over fruit cake. But there is something missing. And there's something very important missing from what I've given so far. So if we turn to Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, I just want to read that passage. So I'll just give you a moment. Okay, so this says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So I'm just going to read that again. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We see this again and again in Scripture, that we are to go with the mentality of encouraging one another and building each other up. When I look at the list that I gave before, 
So talking about we might be encouraged, we might be built up, we get to glorify God, we get to meet with him. That's all very consumer-orientated, isn't it? And, and this really struck me, because actually, in many ways, if you asked me that before doing this sermon, they're probably the things that I would have said, how I see a Sunday morning, etc. Just the other day, I was reading Psalm 1, and it talks about, blessed, or rather truly happy, is the man who delights in the law of the Lord, day and night. It goes on to say how he's like a tree that is planted by streams of living water. It has a constant water supply. It yields fruit in season, and its leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Whenever I've looked at this passage, I've always had the focus on me being the tree, and probably the fact that I want to prosper in whatever I do. But actually, I was reading the ESV Study Bible and decided to go for the notes on it. And it really highlights the fact that the fruit is so important, the fruit that you produce. And the fruit that you produce isn't for you, but it's for others. And so actually, as we are prospering to produce fruit, we are producing that fruit so that others may prosper. And it almost takes the emphasis off ourselves as being, I want to do all these things and I want to always be strongly rooted in God and actually I just want to be Oh yeah, always flying from his spirit, growing, maturing, and always being in season, producing fruit, all these different things. Actually, there's a sense of, it's for other people. Us being rooted and established in him, and bearing fruit, is for other people. It's so that they may prosper. What happened when Jesus was hungry and came across a fig tree that had no fruit? He cursed it, and it withered, because it wasn't fulfilling its purpose. So yes, it's important for, tree to, for a tree to prosper, but you don't prosper for yourself, but you prosper for others around you that they may prosper. How different will our view of church be as we look at it as a place we go to prosper those around us? And say so that again, how different will our view of church be as we see it as a place where we go to prosper those around us? I've always found whether someone's encouraged me or I've encouraged someone else that there's blessing involved, blessing for both people. How do you come to church? Do you come as a consumer or do you come as a contributor? I just want to quickly read that Hebrews passage again. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together. They are not neglecting to meet together, as in the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. You see here, we're not only encouraged to encourage one another, but it also tells us to consider how. That's very deliberate. That's something to actually, if you're considering something, if I was asked to do something by someone, and I was told to go away and consider it, actually, I would take time to think that over, maybe time to talk it over with people. But it's a process, isn't it? A worked out thing. It's not just a spare of the moment thing. This is very challenging. Do we readily consider and give thought to how we're going to stir up and encourage others? Or can it be more of an afterthought? I think regarding myself for Sunday mornings, I might often go as far as to say, 
God, we want to meet you this morning. God, have your way. God, what do you want to say to us as a whole? And then that's it. But there's no deliberate. There's no considering, actually, how am I going to serve up this person to love and do good works? And actually, that's something that this is calling us to. It's calling us to as a church. We need to consider these things. It's like what Paul was saying earlier. And so I'm not saying walk up to someone and shake them. That's not, that's not how we stir up people, is it? But actually, as Paul was saying earlier, there's responsibility on ourselves that we have gifts within us and we need to stir those gifts and we need to be using those gifts. But as part of that, we, that stirring, we stir up others. And it's a purposeful thing that we're pursuing. We're not just letting it be haphazard. So I believe that coming as a contributor rather than a consumer helps us realign our view of church. And this will instinctively help us engage with church in a more positive manner, especially if we find it boring at times. Because our mindset has changed. We're no longer coming thinking, what can I get out of this morning? Because, you know, we're still doing that topic, church matters, and you know what, the church doesn't interest me. I'd much rather be talking about gifts of the Holy Spirit. It's not that, is it? It's actually coming thinking... I'm excited to go to church today because I get to encourage that person because I get to build them up. So yeah, so let's I think let's make a conscious effort to be contributors and not consumers. Now I want to move on to church and how in terms of how it can hurt us, how it can be painful. I think it can be easy to think of church as a safe place. And in many ways, we're right to do so as we're looking to grow to all God has for us. But we'd be ignorant to forget the fact that although church is made up of forgiving people who are growing to become Christ-like, we're still sinful. And at times, our sin may hurt those around us. I just want to reread that quote from the beginning. That I've completely lost. So I'm not going to reread it. Um, oh, here it is, so. Any church is a collection of sinners, saved sinners, but still sinners. So no local church is going to be perfect. So there's this expectancy that at times we may get hurt, or we may hurt others. And sometimes we might not even know that happens. It might be a flippant comment from a preach that actually you weren't aware someone was going through something, or you just hadn't processed that. So these hurts can take many different forms. It could be that you've been let down by someone that you've been hurt by something someone said, that there might have been lack of church discipline in a certain situation, and you felt let down by that. Maybe even some kind of bullying or abuse. Sadly, all of these things can happen. But Jesus knew that this would be the case, and so he gave us a roadmap for how to deal with these hurts. If you want to turn your Bibles to Matthew 18, just to read that. Sorry, I did not give the laptop person any Bible verses for today. It is good. It's good to turn to things in our Bibles and to read them. So it's Matthew 18, verse 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you. For every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. 
No one is perfect. And we all get things wrong from time to time. And that's why Jesus has given us this instruction. This roadmap is actually very important. And as we follow it and deal with hurt rather than letting it fester, it will help stop resentment and bitterness growing in our hearts over time. And that resentment and bitterness can cause us to almost become tunnel visioned and see someone in a certain light. And it's actually difficult to see beyond those things. So it's really important that we proactively deal with these things. As a church, we need to and want to have a culture where we actually can take someone aside and say, what you said or what you did, actually, it made me feel like this. It hurt me in this way. You might not have meant it, but that, that's what it did. And actually be able to work that process out together and pray it through. This will definitely come more naturally to some people than to others. I know that for me personally, if someone's done something to hurt me, I find it so incredibly difficult and daunting to approach that person because I almost feel like, what happens if I come across in the same way? <laughs> what happens if I hurt them from what I'm saying? Or things like that, I can worry. It's, it's easy to be a worrier at times. But we don't need to. And God has given us this roadmap for a reason. And it's so these resentments and bitterness doesn't build up. It's actually really freeing as well when we deal with these things. And it helps us to live as a church how God has called us to live. And also, by doing this, it actually gives the person who's offended us a chance to repent, which as well is really important. Forgiveness is never easy. And this is because there is a cost to you. We have this inbuilt sense of justice. And it can feel like if we forgive someone, they're getting away with that. They, they, they should... They should have to pay for what they've done. The funny thing is, when we do the thing wrong, we don't actually want to suffer <laughs> the consequences of it. But it does feel like it's robbing us. It really does. But we have to trust God. Trust God in this. This is how he calls us to live. And actually, he tells us to actually leave judgment over to him. That actually... If someone, even our enemy, does evil towards us, we're to do good to them. We're to do good to our enemy, to love our enemy, to forgive our enemy. So let's pursue these things. I think Timothy Keller is really helpful with how he defined forgiveness. And it's resolving not to bring the offence up again with God, with a person who offended us, or with ourselves. I'll read that again. Resolving not to bring the offence up again with God, with a person who offended us, or with ourselves. He also goes on to say that the final one is the most difficult of these. Actually, us letting go of that. So I think this definition is really helpful and it can actually almost give us steps to walk through as we're working out this process of forgiveness. I have to say, there are times when I don't feel like forgiving people. There are times when what they've done has hurt me so much that it's actually really difficult and challenging to do. And there might actually be times as well where someone's hurt you and you go and ask, yeah, you go and tell them, like, this is what you've done to hurt me, and they don't repent of that. And these things are really difficult. They're tensions and tensions we have to live with. But I think all we can do is we can live with this roadmap that Jesus tells us. So, first and foremost, in Matthew it says, doesn't it, go alone to that person. And talk to them. Say, this is what's happened. 
And then the next step, if I don't listen, take two or three others with you so they can see what's going on and speak into the situation. And if that doesn't work, bring it, you have to bring it before the whole church. But I still, I still think that even if you get to that point and you can't resolve the situation, from what the Bible teaches, I do believe we still have to be, okay, well, I'll forgive the person for that and put that in God's hands and trust him with them. It's up to them if they don't want to repent for what they've done or vice versa. But we have to trust God with these things and trust that actually letting, not forgiving does build up this resentment and bitterness, which can not only affect our view of that person, actually, it can drag us down and affect our whole lives and be very exhausting and very tiring. So let's realise that we all get things wrong. We all get things wrong from time to time. So let's be gracious with one another. Let's actually be eager to point out to one another if they've hurt you. And I mean that because I think, looking out around the room here, I can't imagine anyone here would actually want to hurt anyone else. They'd actually want to know if they've said something that hurts you. And they'd actually want to wear that out. So let's be proactive at that. Let's be proactive at working these things through. I think every single one of us is in as much need as a saviour as anyone else. And I think that can be great motivation and help us as Jesus, the forgiver of us, sets that example that we now may forgive others. Thirdly, I want to talk on how church can be exhausting. I think it's not uncommon, is it, that that we can become run down, burnt out, or even disillusioned with church. I mean, what, what is the cause of this? What can be the cause of it? I think sometimes we can end up trying to take too much on. Often we can hear the importance of praying daily. And then you might listen to a different talk or read a book, and it tells you to read your Bible daily then you might actually find that actually, you know, but the way I best engage with God is in worship. So I also want to spend a good amount of time just me and God worshipping him daily. Then you might realise, actually, in doing all these things, I've heard people say it's really good to actually spend time just being quiet and just listening to God. I must do that daily as well. How, and start, you can start learning to work. How can I fit all these things in? You get your spiritual tip list, don't you? And be like, actually, I feel a bit distant from God, so as I do these things, these will help me and help my walk with him. Then, on top of all of this, we have church meetings on Sunday mornings. We can have prayer meetings, you can have growth groups, you can have worship team practice. If you're involved in children's work, you may have planning for that. You might be serving on Sunday mornings, and you might have to prepare for that. You might be a growth group leader, and so actually have a growth group leaders meeting as well. Each of these things are good and should bear good fruit. But the reality is, if we're not careful, we can end up being overwhelmed and burnt out. So how do we guard against this? I think there are two ways. One, we need to be sober-minded. And two, we need to walk by the Spirit. I believe that as we do both of these biblical things, we'll be able to run the race of the Christian life with endurance. Not only survive in church, but actually thriving in it. So what does it look like to be sober-minded in these matters? I think it's that sense of 
seeing things clearly, being sensible. For example, do you know what season you're currently in? Do you, have you ever thought about depicting the seasons in your life? An example for me of this was be in my early to mid-20s. Yeah, it's weird to think I'm not in my 20s anymore. About seven years ago, I was single. Uh, at this moment, I had a part-time job because I felt God told me to leave my current job and he would show me what to do next as a step of faith. I did that. Um, I had a, so I had quite a lot of spare time and a lot of that was taken up with job hunting. But also it meant I could give a lot of time to the church. I went to quite a lot of... I could go to early morning prayer meetings. I could go to late prayer meetings. I could go to meet up with people who were doing evangelism purposely during the week, like treasure hunting. I could go do all these different things. I could spend time praying like for an hour a day. I could be like, I'm going to spend time praying in tongues for an hour a day. That didn't always do that. <laughs> but, but I had the time for it. Uh, and that's, the, that's not the important thing. Oops. But do you get what I mean, though? There was a season where I could give myself wholeheartedly to church and there was nothing to hold me back. And then if I jump forward a few years to about 18 months ago or so, my situation was very different. I was married. I had a baby on the way. I was working full time. I was about to start a college course in the evenings that was going to go over three years. I was leading the worship team. And this just didn't all fit together. And I could have tried to do it all. But I was already starting to realise that with that amount of things and the prospects of that amount of things, that things were just starting to... The quality of what I was doing was just starting to go down. And I couldn't give the time to things that I wanted to. So actually, I spent time talking it through with people, praying about it. And looking at, okay, God, what, what's this season look like then? What do I need to give up? There's only one obvious thing really on that list, which is leading the worship team. I wasn't going to give up my wife. <laughs> she, she's happy to know. Or uh, the cottage course was just something that needed to take place and happen and things like that. So actually sometimes those things, can, it was a tough decision to make. But sometimes the things are obvious of what needs to give and what needs to move on. And since then, actually, I'm still doing that college course. I have a one-year-old. There's this element where I still need to be careful with my time in this season. So actually, Sam's asked me to pre preach on several occasions, and I've turned down and said, no, actually, I can't do it right now because I've got an exam coming up, and I know that I need to give time to the exam. And if I don't give time, either the preaching will suffer or my exam will suffer. It's the case. I've... Um, there's been times where, when actually Ezra was born. And so I took time down. I took, didn't serve at all for like a month or so to six weeks. Because actually, I needed that time. I needed that time to be there for Alex, to support her and for Ezra, and for us to be a family. And so there's this dynamic of being sober-minded. Looking at life, looking at what's going on, and being like, okay, this doesn't fit. Or it might be the case... I have time and I have space. I can do more. Okay, where, where's there gaps in the church where I can serve and help? We all have different seasons that we all go through. And we need to recognise for what they are and be sensible with what we do in them. It's all too easy to have too much on and to burn out. So we have to be sober. 
and balance the fact that the Bible not only encourages us to meet together, to pray, to read the Bible, to worship, but it also tells us to rest. That's equally important. We need to find time for that. So there's being sober-minded, but there's also walking by the Spirit. It says in Galatians 5, that we need to walk by the Spirit. Read that wrong. <laughs> it does say that. So it says in Galatians 5, yeah, the importance of walking by the Spirit. Not just living by the Spirit, but walking by it. We need to listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit. When we're looking at what we should do and what we shouldn't do in these seasons, let's spend time praying about it. Let's also remember we're part of a family and those that you know and have a good relationship with and see your life, see what's going on, and that you know to be godly and wise, ask them for input. Be like, actually, do you see this fitting or do you not see it fitting? And I've not even got this in my notes, but as a side point as well, let us be proactive at being vigilant for others. So if we think someone's doing too much and they're going to tire themselves out, take them aside and say, are you okay? How are you getting on? I'm just aware you're doing all these things. Actually, is it too much for you? We must remember, though, we all have different capacities. And God gives us different capacities for different seasons. But let's work these things out. And I think as we, as we seek to walk by the Spirit and to let him guide us in these things, he will guide us. Jesus is our shepherd and we are the sheep. That's what he does. Sometimes it might not be the guidance we want. I've kind of found more recent years that sometimes I feel God to say, it's up to you, Pete. Like, you, you make the decision. I don't like that. <laughs> I'd rather him just tell me, do this, do that, do this, do that sometimes. But actually, it's a relationship. And you know what? God delights in us making good decisions. If you've ever taught anyone, if you've ever had children, if you've ever impacted someone's life, and you see them make good decisions. You delight in it, don't you? You're like, they're maturing. They're growing up. And God has the same with us. One more thing I just want to talk about to do with how church can be exhausting is how, as well as being so busy that it exhausts us, but disappointments can happen and these can drain us. We can give ourselves in full pursuit or something. And it can be something that clearly the Bible says. An example might be in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, I assume, people get healed. And you might be like, you know what, God? This seems to be a biblical thing. And you might give years and years of your life to pursuing that and never see someone get healed. And just, if that's you, one thing I want to say is, God's looking to say to you when you get to heaven, well done, good and faithful servant. If you've been seeking first his kingdom and doing these things, like whatever it is, actually, that's what God will say to you. Well done, good and faithful servant. It's not wasted. But secondly as well, coming back to two ways that we cannot get exhausted, I think being sober. There's this recognition that the kingdom is now, but yet it's not yet. And as we're pursuing, seeking first the kingdom of God, as the Bible tells us, we have to bear that in mind. We have to be sober and realise 
that actually sometimes we might see God's kingdom come really powerfully and really mightily. Or even as a still quiet voice. But it's still God's kingdom. But at other times, we're pleading, God, where are you? What are you doing? There will be times that we're disappointed. But I think our responsibility there is to keep a short account with God. If you're disappointed or frustrated by something, talk it through with him. He's your father. He wants to listen to you. Say your disappointments. Get prayer on it. Work these things out. Don't let it build up again as resentment. And finally as well, Jesus said, I do only as I see my Father doing in heaven. There's a sense of as we seek first the kingdom of God, we kind of want to focus in the areas where we see God moving. We kind of want to focus in the areas. There's no good saying, I'm going to pray for this thing over here. If God's saying, well, actually, I want to do this. Can you not pray for this? That's what I want to be doing right now. Maybe we'll get to this later. But actually, for, to get to this, I need to get through this done first and deal with this. And so actually, I think as we seek first his kingdom, let's walk by the Spirit in that. And that will help stop disappointment and disillusionment as well. So, let's be sober. But let's walk by the Spirit. So, I just want to wrap things up now. So we've discovered that actually, there is a real sense that church can be hard work at times and challenging what we've looked at this morning can almost be thought of as a church survival kit. So we may find church boring at times. So let's start examining ourselves. Are we coming as consumers or contributors? Hurts will happen in the church at times. We need to be able to forgive those people as Christ forgave us. It can be easy to overdo it to get exhausted and disillusioned. But we must be sober-minded and walk by the Spirit. I believe that as we do these things, we will not only survive church, but we can also thrive in it. There's just a quote here by Sam Albury's book that I just want to finish off with. Your church is imperfect. And that makes your church all the more miraculous. Its imperfections are in themselves exciting because they show just how powerful and loving the church God has brought you into must be. I'm just going to read that again. Your church is imperfect, and that makes your church all the more miraculous. Its imperfections are in themselves exciting, because they show just how powerful and loving the God who has brought you together must be.